Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I, I have really enjoyed the last uh, few weeks uh, as we have been having a series on heroes of the Bible. It's been a tremendous encouragement to me. We use the term hero in, in at least a couple of ways, typically. Uh, one is to refer to those who have really special abilities, uh, even supernatural abilities, supernatural powers. So we're, we're fascinated by uh, stories about superheroes. Or that, that, I have to confess, well, I don't have to confess, I'm going to confess, that I, that I, 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 I like the show Heroes. I, I really enjoy that. But one of the reasons, because of the powers, the superpowers, it's fascinating to see all the powers that we could possibly have. And, of course, I project myself into that and imagine it. And, but you know what? It's interesting because they're really not heroes. Uh, some, some of the bad guys are considered heroes. So there's a problem with that. I mean, even, even those who have special sports ability in sports or music, or, we think, oh, they're a hero in that. Uh, another idea of hero we have is those who accomplish something really great, uh, good or not. It's, it's just great. And even better if, if what they, what they have accomplished actually helps people, then they're a hero. But the, the biblical, the biblical idea of hero and heroes of the Bible, they, they may or may not have had special abilities and they may or may not have accomplished anything that we would consider great. They were, most of them anyway, were just ordinary people like you and me. But what made these ordinary people heroes? is the extraordinary things that God did through them as they put their complete trust in Him. Uh, The heroes that we've been looking at over the last several weeks, they all show us something about who God is and what it means to have a relationship with Him that is based solely on, on faith. They are living examples of what it means to walk with God in it. I need a living example. I need more than just words. I need to be able to see it. So I really appreciate their lives, but also that those are written down for us to see. Today we're going to look at the life of Joseph, who shows us a very critical aspect of faith, and that is trusting God no matter what happens. Actually, that pretty much sums up his life. That sums up who he is. Trusted God no matter what, what happens. Now, completely trusting our lives to someone else is, is something that we as Americans get really nervous about. That, that's very difficult for us to grasp even because we value so much our independence and in having absolute say in what happens to us. We want to be free to pursue what we call the American dream. And usually that involves some financial success, some owning some property, and getting to the point where we work and work and work all our lives so we don't have to work anymore and we can finally enjoy it. That's kind of that's the American dream. Uh, in mo- more recent years, though, that has kind of morphed into something that really is a, is a very individual thing, and we've wholeheartedly adopted phrases like, follow your dream. Or follow your heart. 
And what we mean by that is figure out what you really, really want to do. What really turns you on. What your passion is. And do everything you can to aggressively follow that and get everybody else around you to cooperate with that. Joseph's story, though, shows us something very different. It shows us that that God intended life to be so much more than our just living for our dreams, living to pursue our dreams. It's one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. In fact, it's so intriguing to people that it was even made into an Andrew Lloyd Webber play, a very successful Broadway musical uh, entitled Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, and eventually made in, into a movie. But it, it is amazing. It's an amazing story. And I want to summarize that story for you briefly. And the summary is kind of like taking a rock and skipping it across the lake. We're just going to... It's, the, the story goes from Genesis 39 to 50 and covers, or about 51, covers about uh, 11 chapters and about 25 years of history. And uh, all, there's, there's so much in this, this story. And I, I want to bring to the surface just the, the highlights so that we can understand um, how it applies to us and, and certain lessons we can get from it. But it starts with uh, Joseph as one of 12 sons. He's next to the youngest. And... Uh, his, he, he is favored by his father, uh, Jacob, also known as Israel. He is favored, highly favored by him. And his brothers are very jealous of that. His ten older brothers are very jealous of that. And Joseph doesn't help that very much because he, he has a dream. And in that dream, and he shares this dream with his brothers, and they, they, the dream is that one day he's going to be this really Big dude, and they're going to bow to him. It's not something you share with older brothers. I have three older brothers, and trust me, you don't share things like that with them. Someday you're going to bow to me. Uh, but this is this is a dream that he had, um, and they they didn't. He also had some integrity that they didn't like, and so they, they decide uh, when Joseph is 17 years old, out of bitter jealousy. They sell him into slavery to some Ishmaelites who then took him to Egypt. They're in the land of Canaan, which is Israel. And it's about, they take him to Egypt about 200 miles away. For us, that's, that's um, about a four hour drive. But for them, that's at least a three to four day walk. So they, they take them, take him to uh, Egypt and they, they take him away from everything he knows. His, his, his family, the love of his father, his, his religious practices, uh, every, everything that is important to him, his livelihood, which is shepherding, they take, they take him away from that. Uh, Solomon, he has absolutely no choice in this. Uh, and then he's bought in Egypt by someone who is the captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. His name is Potiphar. And he becomes Potiphar's slave. Potiphar becomes really impressed with Joseph, his excellent work. And so he promotes him to manager of his household, which 
Joseph executes superbly. But Joseph is, well, the Bible says he's very handsome, but the idea is that he, just, he is a stud. He's a stud and a half. And Potiphar's wife takes notice of that and tries to seduce him, to sleep with her. But he absolutely refuses. He refuses on the grounds that it's a sin against his master and a sin against God. But Potiphar's wife is relentless. And it, it says day after day, she tries to seduce him. And at one point, they're in a room together alone, and uh, she su- tries to seduce him again. And he literally run, turns away and runs, and, but not before she can grab his uh, outer cloak, pulls it off, and then cries rape. Potiphar believes his wife and ends up throwing him in prison. He's in prison for a long time. While in prison, uh, the chief jailer takes notice of him and puts him in charge of all the prisoners, making him completely responsible for them. And then there are a couple of, a couple of guys that work for, the, for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the most powerful man in Egypt. He's working, they're working for Pharaoh, but they do something and Pharaoh throws them into prison and they're in prison with Joseph. Uh, one is the baker, chief baker, and one is the uh, cup bearer. They, these are very important jobs. And they have dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams. The cup bearer is so impressed with his interpretation that he tells him, you know what, when I get out of prison, I'm going to let Pharaoh know who you are. Uh, Joseph gets hopeful that he's going to get out of prison. But when the cupbearer gets out of prison, goes he completely forgets about Joseph. And Joseph spends two more years in prison. Then Pharaoh has two dreams that are very disturbing to him and nobody can interpret these dreams. The cupbearer hears about that and says, I know somebody that can interpret those dreams. We were buddies in prison. He interpreted my dream. And then he remembers Joseph suddenly and he tells Pharaoh, about him, Pharaoh summons him. Pharaoh, uh, Joseph comes, interprets his dreams, and his interpretations are very important. The dreams are, are a prophecy of a com- coming seven years famine. And Joseph not only accurately interprets those dreams, but then comes up with a very brilliant plan for how they can save thousands of people from, from death because of that famine. And Pharaoh is so impressed with his wisdom that he makes him the most powerful man in Egypt next to him. That is an incredible story. And you can see the ups and downs in his life. Um, he, he's, he's 17 when he's sold. He's about 30. So it's 13 years there when, when he becomes overseer of Egypt. And he's about 39 years old 39-ish, when his dad, Jacob, sends the rest of his brothers along with his younger brother, Benjamin, to Egypt. Uh, well, actually, Benjamin comes later. But he, they come to him and suddenly they, they end up before him. And Joseph's dream comes true. They're now bowing before him. He's the most powerful man in Egypt. Now, if it were me, I would have been thinking for 
the almost 20 years, every single day about what my brothers did to me, and imagining all kinds of creative ways to let them have it. Joseph doesn't do that. What Joseph does is forgives them after they didn't recognize him first, they revealed himself, then they got really nervous, but he told them to calm down and forgave them. It was eventually reunited with his whole family, his father, and the Pharaoh then pays for the entire family to move to Egypt, gives them the best land, and the Jews prosper for almost 400 years because of Joseph. It's an incredible story. From his life, we see that there are two basic approaches to life. The first one is, I am in control of my life. If I'm in control of my life, I work to make sure that life happens the way I want it to happen. I have this idea, I have this dream, I have this goal and these plans about what's going to make me happy. And I aggressively pursue that and try to get everyone around me to cooperate with that. Because that, that, that's what I live for. And I'm in control of that. The problem is I'm not in control of my future. I'm not in control of what other people do. I'm I'm really not as in control as I think I am. Uh, Things happen to me that I have no control over. So the outcome of my pursuit is a gamble. But my success and my happiness absolutely depends on my achieving it. It's tied to it. But I'm in control. Uh, The other approach is God is in control of my life. God is in control of my life. I want to make sure that I put my life in God's hands, striving to do what He wants, not what I want. Which means the outcome of my following Him is entirely up to Him. My success and happiness are tied to what He wants out of my life. Joseph's life is an example of a life where God is in control. A life that has surrendered control to God. And that makes a difference in three major areas of life. Who is in control? Makes all of the difference. Uh, Makes a difference in what I pursue in life, the basic direction of my life, the goals that I choose. It makes a difference in the choices that I make every day. As I pursue my goals, that makes a difference in what I choose to focus on as I encounter the inevitable problems in pursuing my goals. So we're going to look at how Joseph approached each of these and then the major lessons that, that we can draw from that as, as we strive to follow God. The first difference is if, if God is in control of my life, if I approach life, As God is in control. It means I am pursuing God's direction rather than my dreams. It's not about my dreams. It's actually about God's dreams. In fact, if I don't follow God's direction, my dreams can quickly become nightmares in reality. Uh, because Because of reality. Joseph, who was mockingly called the dreamer, by his brothers, who were jealous, was ironically not someone who pursued his own dreams. Rather, he went wherever God directed his life, trusted that God knew exactly what he was doing. 
Take a look at some of the verses to illustrate this. Chapter 39, verses 2 through 3. Uh, and at this point, um, Joseph's brothers have sold him into slavery. It said, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. That's when he promoted him. The idea is that Joseph ended up a slave. He had no choice in the matter. But in the midst of that, God was with him, making him successful. Actually, I titled this sermon, How to Remain Faithful to God No Matter What. But really another title, probably a true title is, how God remains faithful to us no matter what. See, it, faith is not about faith is not about what happens to us or what doesn't happen to us. It's about God being with us in every circumstance no matter what. Chapter 39 verses 19 to 20 we catch up with them here where his wife, Potiphar's wife, is, has, has accused him and is telling, Pharaoh, uh, telling uh, Potiphar that, that he attempted to rape her. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. So after, after a brief period of success, Joseph ends up in prison. God, God's with him. That's, that's recognized. Uh, and he gets accepted. But once again, because no, no choice of his own, he ends up in prison. God had something different in mind for him in his life. He actually had somewhere that he want, wanted Joseph to end up. See, God sees the bigger picture all at once. Something that has been really helpful to me in my life. Is we I, I see I see what's happening right now. I can't see what's happening later on. Uh, it's really easy for us to think that God sees things the same way, but He doesn't. God is out ta- outside of time and space. I'm locked into it. I can only see one moment at a time. But God sees the whole thing at a time. You know what that means? That means that I am already dead and with Him. To God. That's a bizarre thing. <laughs> because God, God, for, for God, he, he sees things eternally. There is no beginning, there is no end. He's not stuck in time. We are. So he, he sees the entire thing. So God had something in mind for Joseph that had already happened before this happened. He wanted Joseph to end up there, and, but he had a particular path. Joseph didn't know at that time what it was. And God didn't ask his permission. You know, if someone were to, to offer me the most powerful position in the United States, where, where no matter what I said, everybody had to do it, which is basically the position that Joseph had in Egypt. They offered that to me. I, I would really consider taking it. That could be very beneficial to me and people I know. But then if they said, you know, to get there, you're going to have to be a slave for several years. 
you're going to be falsely accused of rape and thrown in prison for another several years. Uh, I would say, you know what? I can think of a whole lot of other people who are better suited for that position than me. Uh, But Joseph didn't realize what was going on. And God didn't ask his permission to take that path. Uh, Chapter 41, 28 to 32, we catch up with Joseph here where he is interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And we gain some insight into Joseph's thinking about God. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. God has firmly decided on matters of his ultimate will. And there's nothing we can do to change it. That that was Joseph's view. And God decides that's it. He has decided. Uh, The key lesson for us here is that trusting God, walking with God in faith means entrusting ourselves to Him as He directs us according to His bigger plan, not according to our dreams. Life only makes sense as we cooperate with God in fulfilling the role that He's given us in that bigger plan. It involves knowing God then. It involves knowing what it is that God wants. It involves which requires knowing His Word. It means trusting God with our future. James 4, 13-14 really nails that. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. The idea that's said very arrogantly. We're going to do that. We're going to be successful. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You have no clue what tomorrow is. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We need to approach the future with that attitude that we have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. So if He wills, we will do this. It's not wrong to have plans, but we're to give up our plans, surrendering them to God. We, we have all kinds of plans. We all do. We have plans. We have ideas about marriage. We have ideas about kids. We have ideas about career, about family, about success, about money, about education, and on and on and on. And we, have, we, we develop dreams around them and hopes. And if we're not careful, if we, we start rehearsing these scenarios in our minds about how it has to be, And as the volume goes up in our minds about those things, and we begin to wrap our hearts around them, the the louder that volume is, the higher the volume is, the more difficult it is to hear God speaking to us. When we set set our hearts on certain dreams, we tend to ignore God in His Word and, and it could be positive dreams or negative dreams. Uh, positive would be, you know, I, I always wanted, my whole life I have dreamed of this. I often hear that about weddings. My whole life I have dreamed of this wedding where I come down the stairs and it's 
all this and everything. And, um, and, and set there. It has to be that way. Or this special song that was sung. But you know, we're, we're like that of all kinds of things. We're like that about, about houses, about, about education, about, there's all kinds of, it, ha, it has to, we dream. Or negative. Negative dream is, I will never let somebody hurt me again. That becomes a dream. And that's really hard to hear. We, we tend to distort God's word until it matches what we've already decided we want has to match our dream. We have difficulty hearing anything in the contrary. We manipulate others and circumstances toward that end. We tie our happiness to it. And then we get mad. We get upset with God and others when it doesn't happen. Like a child can't appreciate their parents' direction until they are fully grown. I heard that my whole life. You'll understand this when you're my age. And I thought at the time, no, I won't. Then I remember thinking, I understand but like a child where the parent doesn't explain it because they won't understand it, God doesn't reveal to us where He's taking us before we agree to follow Him. We'd never go if He did. Several years ago, I started preparing to become a professional counselor. And I poured a lot of time and energy into that. Got three degrees in psychology. I teach and train counselors. But as far as Becoming a professional counselor as a career, I did that for a while, but just there were roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. It just wasn't happening. Failure after failure after failure. And at one point, Neil Walker said to me, do you, and do you think that maybe God doesn't want you to do that? And my immediate response was, <laughs> of course He wants me to do it. Why would He lead me all this way doing this thing and then not want me to do that? And I confessed in the first service that Neil Walker was in. I'm here to tell you, he was absolutely right. And, and because of that, there are several things I, I have done since I stopped pursuing that that I would not have done had I not stopped pursuing it. God, God led me in a different direction. See, God... Connects. He's already connected all the dots, but we can only see one dot at a time. And, and we see this dot, and we can't figure out how in the world it's going to connect to this dot over here. But God has figured that out. He already knows. Second area is just how we approach everyday life and the choices we make. If, if God is in control of my life, then I am choosing God's ways over my wants. In any situation, I'm thinking, okay, what does God want here? Not what do I want. Joseph chose God's ways in every situation he found himself, no matter how difficult. He remained faithful to God and His commandments in spite of repeatedly being mistreated by others. He remained faithful to God in His ways when he faced temptation. Listen to this. Chapter 39, 6-10. So, so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. This is Potiphar. And he's a slave. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. That's the stud part. And after a while, his wife's master took notice of, 
of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. My master trusts me, is what he's saying. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house but me. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even to be with her. Every guy here is thinking, that's incredible. Every day she offers herself. The only explanation is his commitment to doing right before God. He consistently refused to give in to this incessant temptation because he respected his master. Why? We find out why in, in chapter 42, verse 18, when he's talking to his brothers, he said, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. <laughs> means I take God seriously. In other words, I am more afraid of God than I am of you guys, than I am of Potiphar's wife, than I am. I'm afraid of God. I fear Him. Also, uh, was faithful to do things God's way when He was faced with mistreatment. As I said before, just I would have thought of all these things to do to my brothers over the years. And we catch up with Joseph here where he sees his brothers in chapter 45, verses 14 through 15. It says, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Joseph didn't take revenge on his brothers, but instead showed affection for them. And in chapter 50, verse 15 through 17, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they thought the first time, well, maybe he's just treating us okay because our dad is still alive and out of respect for him and all that. He dies and his brothers think, uh-oh, now we're going to get it. So they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They're pulling the dad card. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrong, wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph told his brothers to calm down. He, wasn't, he was going to do the right thing. And to do that, he really had to believe in God's bigger purposes. Forgiveness is not based on what our offenders do or don't do based on who God is. Joseph could do that because he saw a bigger picture here. And he dealt with them rightly. Uh, and when, when faced with unwanted circumstances, in each circumstance Joseph was forced against his will. He was faithful to perform his duties with such excellence that he gained the favor of his superiors and was granted with greater responsibility. So the lesson for us is, trusting God means doing the right thing before God, no matter what we're faced with. Temptation, mistreatment, unwanted circumstances. Our natural tendency as humans is to give in to our desires, 
to retaliate when mistreated, to slack off in our work because this wasn't our idea. It was somebody else's. A lot of us are willing to do things God's way until it no longer fits in with our plan. And then we go back to our way. See, God doesn't require, or God, God doesn't guarantee a certain income for doing, sorry, certain outcome for doing things His way. He only requires that we trust that He knows best as we obey Him. We're, just to, we're to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And the third area of difference, as, as I am approaching life as, with God in control, I focus on God's purposes instead of my pain. Joseph chose to focus on God's ultimate purposes rather than the difficulties he encountered and the, how mistreated he was. Clearly illustrated in several passages. But they show God's path to getting Joseph into a position that accomplished his ultimate purposes. And it required Joseph's full cooperation without him having a clue as to what those ultimate purposes were. Now, I, I encounter students. I, I teach college. And I encounter students every semester who won't even register for a class until they're guaranteed a certain outcome that they want in that class, which they can't get because they have to prove that they, they have to earn it. But they, they, they refuse to do that. We're like that about all kinds of things in life. We want a guaranteed outcome. God says, do this. And we go, oh, wait a minute. What's going to happen? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, when Joseph knew the whole story, he could, in hindsight, finally understand God's purposes in his long, difficult journey. He could look back and see each leg in that journey and how it was part of where God ultimately brought it. Listen, listen to this, what he says to his brothers. Here they are. They're scared to death he's going to do something to them that they deserve. And he has the power to do it. Finally. And this is what he says to them. Uh, chapter 45. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. He's even concerned about them, how they feel about themselves. For selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me. Ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over Egypt. And then in chapter 50, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. There's the dream. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. What you intended to harm me, God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. 
God takes what others meant for our harm and somehow weaves it all together for ultimate good. To get Joseph, that, that was the picture. That, that was the ultimate goal. But to get them there, he first had to get him to Egypt. To get him to Egypt, he had to get him sold as a slave. And then get him in Potiphar's house. Uh, so that he's thrown in prison to get connected with the guys that worked for Pharaoh so he could end up in Pharaoh's attention. God knew all that. He orchestrated all that. And Joseph fully cooperated with that all the way, all along. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So the key lesson here is trusting God means seeing God's purposes in everything that happens to us that is beyond our control. We, we live in a fallen world. Because of that, people will disappoint and mistreat us. Plans will fail. Progress will be stifled. And problems will come. But a major key to success in life is rightly handling those problems from God's perspective. Seeing the bigger picture. It, it really, it's really easy to fall into the trap of victim thinking. Things are happening to me that I have no control over and they're bad. And they're never going to go my way. So I'm just going to give up, get mad, do whatever I want to do, no matter what or how it affects other people. And we actually convince ourselves that God is the one ripping us off. And so we take matters into our own hands. And then we use circumstances to justify disobeying God and hurting others. But focusing on God's purposes means... We have this eternal perspective. What matters most in any situation is what God has determined for eternity. It means that we're able to forgive others freely because it's based on who God is. And we can rise above circumstances and trust God. See, faith, faith isn't wishing that God, wishing really hard that God would just give me the things that I want. And that things would go my way. Faith is putting our trust in God no matter what happens. Because He knows best. In every situation then, we need to learn to ask three questions. What does God care about ultimately in this situation? What does God want me to do in this situation? And what is God trying to train in me through this situation? Two different ways we can approach life. I'm in control, which is really kind of kidding ourselves because we're not. Well, God is in control. And with God in control, things go better because He knows best. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the life of Joseph. Thank You for that that is written down in Your Word for us to know. But more than that, thank You for who You are. You really are trustworthy. You are faithful to us no matter what. It's hard to believe that much of the time. We take that on faith. But we believe that is true. And all of the songs that we have been singing and the songs that we're going to sing now, 
are an acknowledgement and confession that you're trustworthy. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.